to a game two recap here on Why Hockey. Oh boy, things are fun, aren't they? The playoffs are not a great place to be sometimes. Can we title this, It's Not About the Goalies? Uh, yeah, well it isn't about the goalies. Yeah. It's not. And listen, I was not a fan of the Chris Drieger decision, and neither were you. But Chris Drieger was not the reason why they lost this game. Goalies are not the reason why they're down 2-0 in the series. I think most people can see that. Um, well, I, I think that they see the first part you said, as in Dreger wasn't the reason they lost the game, which is true. He was, but not. they don't they don't see it. They still I, there's too much of a sentiment that if only Dreger started Game One, everything would be fine now, and that is the most that's uh, wish fulfillment. To take it's wish fulfillment. It's you know they're just wishing it. They're just saying it to make themselves feel better and wishing and hoping it would happen. Because it's and, it was clear happen. that they played better in game one. They played their style of hockey. And the it, biggest it helped, takeaway... I'm it helps gonna... when the goalie's ready and, you know, the first minute he doesn't get beat clean by a shot that hits the post and then the team defense completely deflates after that. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean, Drieger, Drieger's post luck, we talked about that in the, in the uh, like, all throughout the season. I think yeah, they hit three posts in the first period. We were, we literally talked about how that has been it, – it's not something that you really should be, like, judging goalies on. But it when we talk about the perception Dreger has, when you think about how he gets beat early in games pretty cleanly or he gets beat on the power plays pretty cleanly, but a decent amount of them hit the post so it doesn't count as a shot, you know, or anything like that, and – or save, but it doesn't go against them, doesn't hurt them. It's not a goal against. Different puck luck, different bounce off that post. It's a goal. It's one nothing. 43 seconds into the game last night. If we count all the posts in the first period, it could have easily been four. Uh, and that's because one of the posts came back and was immediately scored on mm -hmm. uh, that sec second goal, which a lot of people say, well, that was a terrible bounce. Like, how is Dreger supposed to save that second one? Well, a lot of bad bounces that go under Dreger's arm, uh, I mean, under Bobrovsky's arm, are called weak. Or, you know, they, they fell through him and he should have saved that. Uh, so to hold Dreger to the same standard, maybe he should get that. But how does he save that? Or how does he prevent that weird bounce from happening? Making the initial save off that clean shot off the rush. I mean, it wasn't... It was a decent. It was a good shot, but it wasn't unstoppable. There wasn't like a big screen or anything. It wasn't, you know. There was a lot more chaos. There was a lot more odd man rushes, breakaways, breakdown in defensive, like real breakdown in defensive plays. We're talking swings back and forth and back and forth that really, um, you know, put a lot more stress on the goalies. Uh, that wasn't really so much the case in game two, and yet still. Uh, it was kind of like that in one crease on, in the Florida side. Um, the first and again, period was not everything. If you if you were worried about the Panthers with this matchup stylistically, the first period is every reason why you would have been worried yeah. because what happened multiple times, the Panthers got too aggressive, their defense get caught, and as good as some of these defensemen for the Panthers have been, they're still playing against the full strength, basically Tampa Bay Lightning, and, and the and Tampa Bay Lightning are going to punish you for that. And their strengths routinely aren't defense like like it's known that like montour strength isn't defense like 
he's good at defense if you can get keep him skating forward playing defense, you know. Um, and, and like the Jack Hahn piece talked about, and getting back to that, if Jack Hahn can watch a few Florida tape games and pay, see that's what their system is and, and do these write-ups and everything, communicate it so effectively, what makes you think the Stanley Cup winning franchises, team of coaches, that job is to do that at a high level and very quickly can't do that after playing Florida eight times over the course of the year, see the progressing in their system, see who they're adding on to their personnel, watch the tape and figure it out. We talked about all they have to do is start jumping the weak side D, start, uh, you know, counteracting what Florida is doing because what Carolina does is that's what they do. They, they do that, they get the early lead, and they trap. What did Tampa do in game two? Got the early lead, yeah. and they trapped. And, yeah. and this is my point one. about the Tampa Bay Lightning that I want to make. The Lightning are an incredibly skilled team. They do a lot of things extremely well. But the one thing that separates them from, great, from good teams like the Panthers is they can play multiple ways. They want to track meet in game one. They're perfectly capable of doing that. But the one thing that they've learned after years and years in the playoffs, and this is the first time for this group in the playoffs, is they played like the Islanders for the second two periods. And we saw what happened when the Panthers played the Islanders in the bubble last year. They had good chances. Let's, let's not make any bones about the fact. They had good chances. Andre Vasilevsky was really good. He was better than Chris Drieger. That's not a surprise. But, but- the Tampa Bay Lightning still were able to contain the Panthers in the neutral zone, they were far less aggressive, and that meant they weren't getting beaten the same way they were getting beaten in Game 1. We were talking about the Panthers making adjustments from Game 1 to Game 2. The Lightning made adjustments from Game 1 to Game 2. And they said, we're going to dare you to beat us playing like this. We're going to get a lead, we're going to capitalize on your mistakes, and then we're going to put the clamps down. And that's exactly well, what they did. And, I, and, and again, it was that's pretty the credit easy. to a great team. What, what does Cooper do? He sees, he sees that... You know, he submits a roster of 11, D, 11 forwards and 7D, right? Cooper does. Sees, then Quenville submits that same roster setup, taking, even with Bennett out of the lineup, even more offensive punch out of their lineup. And his response is, Let's, this is a new goalie who hasn't played a professional playoff game in his career. Let's jump on their defense early. And put pressure on Dreger, make him, like, put him in the deep end, make him sink or swim. And he didn't sink. And he, he, you know, he, he's tread water. He did the best he could, but that was a hard situation to be thrown into. And it would be a hard situation for Bobrovsky to deal with, too. And I'm not saying Bobrovsky doesn't come out there uh, without giving up some goals, too. But after those defensive breakdowns, I mean, think about the game one. They prioritize breakdowns. They, they, they know who to pinpoint. They know when to pinpoint them. And it's not something that's super crazy. It's like, all right, when Yandel is around the hash marks to the tops of the circle in his own D zone, pressure him. When they make that pass from the D1 forward to the D2 who's activating, pressure him. It doesn't matter if you hit him and make him turn it over. Most of the time, it might be an icing, or at least just a missed pass that goes out to a neutral zone and Tampa gets the puck back. But you're effectively blunting the only way Florida can generate offense off the rush. 
can beat a good team that's strong through the neutral zone and good against preventing entries. Um, that or hoping the wind-up Duclair zone entry and the Barkov zone entries and stuff work enough where they can get enough goals. And, you know, how did Quinville respond? He responded by doubling down on turning against offensive touch, finishing touch, and he put in he, he put up guys like Marchman. Yes, Marchman scored, and yes, he had a decent game, but Marchman getting solid third-line minutes in that game was probably what he deserved. And what they needed to do was put more of their creative guys together and giving them more minutes because the way they played the game and the way Quinville tried to play that game, it's only going to get you one or two goals. And you're not going to win against Tampa only scoring that little because the way you play defense, you're definitely giving up one or two goals. Absolutely. And I think it's one of those things where Joel Quinville's a really good coach. But I think at some points, you have to be the one to try to dictate where the pace of play is going and how the style of play is going. And in game one, he did that. The Panthers lost, but in game one, that was played to the Panthers' liking. And then in game two, they played it to Tampa's liking. And Tampa won because Tampa's much more adept at playing that particular style of game. So what that means is, where are you going in game three? The Lightning are now going home. They have a 2-0 lead. The Panthers are frustrated. And you can tell, based on their post-game comments, that they were like, boy, that you, you could see some of them like, oh, we saw this last year and we looked yeah. terrible. You know, like... We're allowed to feel that way as fans. It's a little disconcerting when the players are I like, think they were. I think some of it was that they were surprised that Tampa really did that. They were not expecting Tampa I, to just put the clamps the down problem. like that. That's the problem. And to me, that's on coaching staff. Why? Oh, no, like, no, no, 100%. 100%. You know, yeah, I agree. I know you don't really disagree, but... You know, to point it out, the biggest disappointing performance over the course of this whole season has not been Bobrovsky, but has been the coaching staff. And I hope, and I'm not saying Quinville needs to go, and I'm not even saying Olf Samuelson needs to go. Maybe you change up Burnett because he's been here two years and he does some special team stuff and, you know, the offense. And, you know, we can we can probably replace him and everything. But I mean, it's something uh, we could talk I, about I don't, in the future. But yeah, I just think but, that from a, from a coaching perspective – you know, how are they not prepared? How, how are they not ready for Tampa to, to be like, okay, this is how Florida plays? And how do they not have like that opponent scouting? Like, all right, well, this is how Tampa would react to this. This is what Tampa is going to do, and this is how they usually react to it. Here's some tape. Here's how we can beat them. Uh, and I can't believe if they did that and their takeaway was, let's do 11 forward 70 let's do a lot of dump and chase in the second period the period of the long shifts um you know and just keep turning the puck over and and getting back in our d zone and getting stuck there and and not being able to come from behind and create any offense uh you know it just it looked like they Press too many buttons, or you know, that was Quindle my biggest thing with, with the moves they made in game two. Oh. Like, I didn't think you needed to make those moves after game one when you probably deserved overtime. You, you lost right. in regulation, but you probably deserved overtime, and you played the game to your liking. You know, that was a Panther style of game, and I just didn't think going to these changes made sense 
I could understand maybe doing 11 and 7, but the Lightning are masters of doing 11 what? and 7. They have that down to a science. When the Panthers did 11 and 7 this year, it worked initially, and then after a while, you're like, okay, no, this has to stop. This is not 11 to 7 simple. works. The the point of 11 to 7 and why it works with Tampa is because they have a few good grinders, and that's and they get and the skilled players pick up that extra minute. Where the Panthers go eleven and seven, it's like the grinders pick up the extra minutes. Like the tw- that that extra spot, you know, isn't filled by you know in the beginning of the games it kind of was, but then you know you start seeing the matriculation of the grinders up the lineup. Um, you know, it's just everything. Just it didn't feel like we had the right feel, and that's what Quinville was brought in for. We paid him six million dollars. His thing was. When we get to the playoffs, we'll be able to keep up with the big boys right away because we'll have Quinville pushing the right buttons. We'll have Quinville not panicking and setting the tone. Well, it sends a little bit of a panic if Quinville's starting to, you know, he's a coach. He only has so many rounds in the chamber to spark something, to change or influence the game, especially through the lineup card and stuff. And when you see your coach firing multiple chambers and stuff, yes, some were uh, in response to a suspension, but that's a choice he made. He could have put in Dennis Anko. He could have uh, done something a little better. But the big one is, you know, is a goalie one. I don't know how that doesn't send, how does that not send the message of, oh, shit, like, Quinville's already going to this? Like, I mean, like, if he's already starting to grasp that stuff, and, you know, it, it's, it would it have been that bad to, to start Bobrovsky this game? Even if Bobrovsky has the same game Dredra has, and they go down 0-2 in the first period, right? You could see that happening. I'm a Borowski defender. I could see Borowski easily giving up the goals Dredra gave up. You know, but, and then then you're going out on the road, and now Dredra's coming off the bench, and maybe you have some energy now when you're down 0-2. And after we saw the press conference, they got to figure out something to do with energy. And I, I as I said, like, we saw what happened last year where they were down 0-2 to the Islanders, and he just threw everything at the wall just put a bunch yeah. of different players in the lineup and it gave him a win so i mean i i would not be surprised if you saw like but i a want a little type more measured in. i want a little more measured cue i want a little more prepared cue you know this is all stems from not using the stretch run to figure out a goalie to figure out who their defensive unit was going to be how, how do we get more measured quenville then in a situation where they are going to be fairly desperate and Quinville has shown in the past that he'll do with lineups just about anything. Well, hopefully there's not too much personnel change uh, in the offseason. That kind of always starts Quinville, kind of forces Quinville to start late. Um, and, you know, they had they made a decent amount of moves at the trade deadline, which kind of made them start readjust some of their schemes and everything, which kind of Quinville had to then get used to some more players. And then, of course, adding in a goalie, uh, it, it 
destabilized whoever was going to be the goalie to, to play down the stretch. Um, but so hopefully next year, the starting with a similar lineup, Coach Q kind of knows who his horses are earlier. Down the stretch, he can start getting them into shape, so to speak, for the playoffs um, and, and start working on ways of how, how to address you know, the first counterpunch of, of the opposition and, and what it's likely to be based on how they play and how to, how to successfully respond to that. Uh, and then if they do find themselves down, uh, you know, I think he has to, I, I wonder if he feels the pressure since they are on the margins of, of beating Tampa Bay that he has to make so many changes or from game to game that, to keep them in it um, or, or whatever. But I, I think he has to trust the guys that get him there um, and start with those guys and, and stick to them. Even if that meant Dreger starting game one, you know, faltering in game one and, and going back to him in game two. So, you know, that would still be what we're talking about. Um, you know, we saw another platoon goalie effort on the island, uh, and that also didn't really work out. I mean, Varlamov is better than Sorokin, but, like, to me, in the playoffs, I don't want to change goalies unless I have to. You know? Like, that's why I'm saying. I can understand changing a goalie after a loss. That's that's not terribly uncommon. And a lot of teams now go to platoons, I don't, so that, that what, makes What it. did Quinville say? That he, he earned a game? Okay, fair enough, he earned a game. But, Definitely you know, did. and and... And the other reason was they wanted an opportunity to see what he would do in the playoffs. That's not a good reason to play someone in the like. I mean, to me, when you're down 0-1, making that change, uh, you know. I, I will say again, if I don't Bobrovsky think has that Dreger game different. from last night. If the Panthers then play Dreger in Game Three down 0-2, no one's going to complain about that. You're not going to get us to complain. Well, because... I mean, it's not even so much complaining about. It. We we should. I mean, the big issue is how come. Bobrovsky, how come, you know, that is a change. And and whether he goes to Dreger, whether he goes back to Bobrovsky, maybe he goes tonight or sticks with Dreger or whatever, you know, Yandel's still going to play. They're still not going to, you know, when they had a lead in game one, they still pinched their D, they were still overly aggressive, they played that one way, and, and Q's response right now seems to be to just keep leaning in and playing you know that one way which i admits in some ways that he did that this team isn't at a point yet where they've developed that other way to play that tampa has played in game like you know we saw the difference between the styles in game one and game two and they you know they so in essence, they can play both styles, but they can't make that in-game adjustments. And we saw in games one and game in games two that the Tampa Bay Lightning, like the Carolina Hurricanes in the regular season, were able to make in-game adjustments as a team, keep their team cohesion and chemistry, and still be able to play defense and offense in all of those systems. Florida isn't there yet. We didn't expect them to be there yet. But I, I didn't expect the the lot the the kind of the chaos and the unconfidence, the lack of confidence that the coaching staff and the team has, and they're they're 
easiness and wilting. I mean, I, I, I want to, the next conversation I want to have is like, where was the pushback? Hornquist is getting pushed over easily by Yanni Gord after the whistle, getting up and going to the ref and pointing at, and pointing at, at Gordon complaining to the ref. Where's the pushback? That's I from think some of that has to do with the fact that any time that happened in game one, there was a penalty, and they didn't look I mean, the way the officials went. I mean, you could see that in game two but a little I mean, bit, where's but that's the, not going to help. Where was the pushback in the gameplay? Where was Hornquist getting to the net and causing issues for Vasilevsky and, and, and causing you know, more scrums down there? And, and just hope that... You know, every, you just keep having Yanni Gord push you after the whistle, and one of them gets called. But don't complain to the ref, ref after that. That makes the ref less likely to call it in the future. If you get if you fall over easily, get up and go to the ref. You know, mm-hmm. and that, I mean, Florida keeps expecting it to be easy, expecting it to go well off the bat, and when it doesn't, they don't know how to. Re- respond in the playoffs yes i mean and and that will change they'll mature into that um and and they there's still time to to do that i don't think it's too late i mean i've seen i don't think the series is over you know like i've seen the flyers come back from 03 against the bruins i've seen crazy things happen i mean the the kings against the sharks i've seen teams that looked dead in the water Spencer, spencer knight could come in here for game three and go on a tear, or Dreger could I, go on a tear, or Bobrovsky could go on a tear, or or Barkov, or Huberto, or the, you know they bring in Denisenko or Gusev and it works, or Hepo Niemi. Maybe they bring in a different defender, or they sit Yandel, and and it's there's so many different things they can do, and what that shows is they've kind of been lacking in a lot of different areas. In this so series, they yes. kind of point to one. Isn't really there, and if they're lacking in a lot of areas, I'm looking at the job Zito did. Okay, I'm looking at the 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 players who, across the board, have played better than they did last year, and you know, for most of them, outperformed expectations for you know ninety ninety five percent of them. So, it's not the players, it's not the GM. I mean, you know, I'm not saying the coaches did bad, but, uh, you know, is yeah, there some point we can get out of that? I think about when you're in the playoffs, you're playing the defending champions, you're playing the best team of the last half decade, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and there is no doubt that they are the best team in the league the last half decade. You have to be even better than them when you don't have as much as they do. That team is meticulously constructed from top to bottom. They have the best coach in the league right now in John Cooper, and that's not a slight on Joel Quenville. John Cooper is that good. You know, they are, they have a world-class goalie. If you want to beat them in the playoffs, you need to be able to be better than them, and you have to be able to find your edge against them. And I'm not surprised the Panthers haven't done that. This is a team that's never been in the playoffs before. As a group and as a franchise, you know, Joel Quenville's been there, but there's something to be said about Joel Quenville doing all of those things in the playoffs with a group that had been there a thousand times. You know, he knows exactly what he's going to get out of Kane and Taves and Sharp and Seabrook and Keith and all of them, no matter the changing parts that happen for those three cup wins, yes? 
So I think he does not have that yet. But he should by now. I mean, that would be like saying we traded for a top pair defenseman uh, who's, you know, should should be able to do it. And it takes him more and, you know, it takes him more than two years and he still doesn't have a, you know, a good sense of his fit. I mean, at this point, you know, we're starting. There's a lot of people who start feeling that way about Barofsky. Like it's been two years now. Like, come on. Well, I mean that's and, fair, and I and I do want to point something that, else that out. That sentiment kind of starting, I think, starting to happen with some of the coaching uh, decision and, and that kind of stuff. And again, no one is even thinking about firing Quinville. No. But hopefully, this is a moment where Quinville realizes like there can be improvements made. There, there, maybe is a different tact or, you know, there are things you could do better. Yeah, of course. I, I do also want to point out that when this Tampa group first made the playoffs in 2013-14, they got swept by Montreal, and they looked bad. I know that was a long time ago, and it wasn't the point Kucherov mm-hmm. kind of team. But I'm just saying, like, you know, and Quenville's team, that first time they made the playoffs, they got I don't, royally cold I, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I don't want to say that this loss might have material gain in the. I don't want to do well, that. Well, we can. We. I, I'm just saying that in hindsight, we can say that. I don't know whether we could say it about this team yet. Florida has a team that is competitive against Tampa. They have to do things smarter, and it, on and off the ice, they have to do things smarter to beat Tampa. And, and and maybe that's okay this year to not be able to beat Tampa, um, but it's not okay that what it some of what it appears is ill preparation and self inflicted wounds, and that is kind of where it stings a little bit for me this year, uh, and and you know overall, yesterday last night's effort was, I think the worst the second or third worst effort of the entire season. And to have that happen um, after game one is, is really disappointing. And those, those are the things I'm focusing on. Like, you know, at what point do we actually drop the charade of saying we're going for a win and go for a win, pick a goalie, drop Yandel and go for a win. I think it's, fundamentally giving yourself an out by doing this. I mean, like, there's always a reason why you, you know, like, it, to me, it's just too mealy mouth. It's too indecisive. It, it, it lacks confidence. It lacks um, an understanding of the personnel on the team. And they need to address that to take the next step forward. I don't think, you know, they have to, to do too much in the offseason obviously you can always try to add top end skill and scoring but other than that i think you know i think the one key for the panthers now and i see, I, I think it's a disservice to do a little offseason talk when they could easily turn the series around well, and like add I, said, I, I haven't lost faith i mean and that's why you know they can turn this around but turning it around means generating offense from the forward group uh, so that you don't always have to have your weak side D pinching. You don't always have to have your weak side D activating. You don't always have to have both of your D doing that. Uh, you know, because sometimes it's not just the weak side D activating to get that rim uh, around the boards or something like that. It's the 
It's the D, the weak side D activating to join the other D, D1, in the rush. And, and that's where they get in trouble. And can, because can they get offense without having Gustav Forsling and Wegar playing full tilt that way at the same time? Because Tampa just needs two or three good opportunities to walk away with the game. Yes. And they've shown that time and time again that they're willing to wait till the last minute to get those opportunities and they, they will be calm cool and collected all the way through working the refs in their favor it, along the way and that's just you to beat them you have to accept that that's that is what experience does and the lightning have it they've done this hundreds of yeah. times at this point and they're prepared and they know in the end the regular season when they weren't fully healthy doesn't really matter all that much and and it's and it's true. I, again, I'm not saying that this team can't come back. They have the ability to do that. And just yeah. when we Bennett, thought that they were dead before, they they proved us wrong. Well, but, we said after game one about Bennett continues. I mean, you have to put some of last night on Bennett too. I mean, not listen. That, it, it was a it stupid was, hit. He did not have it, to it make. Probably was it probably was a suspension. The only issue is the Tampa Bay didn't get their suspension with it. But that's not like that still doesn't excuse Bennett for what happens. And being without Bennett is a tough loss for the offense. It, it, it put Q in a position where he decided to blunt his own offense, give Jeter a little help with defense, because that's what it was, whether you, you think about it or not. Uh, you know, he chose to go with an extra defenseman uh, rather than offense that game for, for a reason. And, and it didn't work. The goal change might be might be that reason, might not be, but you know, it, if Bennett's in that game, they're twelve and six, and you they'll know, be twelve not, and six on uh, tomorrow. Right. 100%. Exactly. And, and so, but it's just like, will will he get up the nerve to sit Yandel, or is there a backdoor deal saying? We won't sit you at all, Yandel, but at the end of the year, you waive your contract. To go to, Se- to go to Seattle because we know they won't likely pick you, blah, blah, blah. And then after that, we can work it out. But let's just get through the season. Let's get through the expansion draft. Boy, and- I mean, I mean, you, and you think the same team play. knows how to target bad players? I mean, Keith Dandel is like, responsible for like three of the, like, they, Tampa scored yeah, and, eight goals in the series. The He's worst, responsible directly and, for like and three of them. That, that, that I would say the, the, uh, the attempted assist. Uh, turnover where he just like turned the other way and gifted it to the Tampa four and then then turned and drifted backwards while watching, you know, Florida struggle to. to we joked about it before. It's that last gasp of the old Panthers is what's holding them back. And I will make a point on your off season point. Don't overreact to what happens if you lose to Tampa because plenty of good teams lose to Tampa and you can't freak out about that. But if they keep on this course, Next year they'll have Aaron Eckblad back, and let's be honest, that is a big loss. Having and, Aaron Eckblad would have made a we, difference in this series. Are we? Are we also not think? But like you know, to the point of the old Panthers holding the Panthers back, like they they're possibly playing. They're playing Yandel for political reasons. They're possibly playing Dreger for political contract reasons. Uh, they've played night already down the stretch for for those types of reasons. Uh, at what point do they actually care about winning? What point does Hornquist 
what point is the fourth line just stapled Marchman, Achari, Hornquist? Uh, so the third line can have speed. Uh, so some of the more skilled guys can play. And Barkov doesn't have to drag one of them up and down the ice every night. You know, at what point is that just decided? And we just realize that good teams that win the cup and go deep in the playoffs have fourth lines that are valuable. You don't, you don't look at Tampa's fourth line and say, they're not getting important minutes. They're not being talked about. I mean, we talk, we heard Lomberg's name in game one, how much he was on the fourth line. I don't think, you know, like Hornquist and Marchman can be positives from there. And they're probably more of a net positive from there than they've been in other spots this series. And that, you know, and, and Marchman's goal was a good example of what he's good at. Let him play that style, you know, and, and get those from the fourth line with a guy like Achari, who's also good at that, and a guy like Hornquist, who, who's also good at that and has a little maybe uh, more more skill to help elevate them. And, and one uh, final point on that I want to make. The Wild scratched Zach Parise in the playoffs. I'm mm-hmm. just saying, like, you sometimes you have to swallow it and just be like, yeah. you got to do this for the better of the like, team. Is it the team culture that you talked about, that winning culture? I mean, and if it is, then that applies even to the guy like Hornquist, who is the staple for that attitude, or, you know, applies to a guy like Yandel, who may make things uncomfortable. Um, You know, in the same way that they're comfortable applying it to Bobrovsky. They're comfortable saying, we had two goalies all year, we're going to utilize two goalies in the playoffs. They're comfortable saying that. Uh, despite the uncomfortableness of Bobrovsky in this contract situation and all that, and and, and that the right to do that if they think it helps for hockey reasons, and they need to apply that elsewhere, okay. for, yeah. because that's the marginal difference that we're yeah. seeing on the ice. Hundred percent. So that is our recap of Game Two. I promise uh, that we will have the next podcast. They're not. Out they're not getting it, swept. I, I I don't think they're getting swept. They're gonna. <laughs> I, I don't know whether they're going to get – so I just want them to win a game. I want them to win a game. I want them to prove that they can make this series competitive again. Because we know they can. But is that already – like, I mean, and that's fine. Like, I'm also kind of at that spot where I just want them to win a game. Uh, but I obviously believe and, and hope for much more. Oh, so do I. But life has beaten me down, sir, as I talked about with you before we recorded. Uh, I, you can understand why I don't have a ton of hope at the moment. Sorry. It's a sign of underachievement. I think that that's how, go, based on how we were talking going into the series versus how we're talking now, it's a sign of the Panthers' underachievement. Yeah, in some regard, I would say that. Uh, the next not, podcast not you hear... Not blow up the thing, not get super mad and everything, but it's good. It's okay to voice disappointment. Be like They, they kind of give Barkov and Huberto help because they, they can't do it all themselves when their line mates are stationary getting marked by a Tampa Bay opponent. They can't really do much. I know there's one or two chances she would have, should have taken a shot. Yeah, I guess. Sure. But if, if that, like, there's also a lot of chance chances that, you know, those shots would have easily been saved. Uh, and he's trying to make something happen because, they do need offense, and he's the only one trying to actually create those high danger, their high danger, high danger plays. And if your line mates aren't moving, and if they're not thinking on that safe wavelength, it, it's hard to do. And you know that, but that's Huberto's job, uh, so he kind of has to get it done as well. So game three, you know, he's going to have to find a way, 
even if it's the same style, even if he does feel he's left out on the island. Uh, you know, he did it in that third period. Uh, but again, that shows the value of having guys like Tippett and Duclair on his wings at all times and letting them get comfortable and build chemistry um, over the course of long periods of stretches. Listen, you sometimes have to say that about playoff teams. They did not do well enough in the playoffs. Good teams, like the Lightning got swept in 2019. We've seen it with the Flyers it's happened. We've seen it with every single team that gets there. At some point, they underachieve in the playoffs. It could be at a high level, like Vegas. Vegas underachieved in the playoffs last year, right? We know this. Good teams will underachieve in the playoffs. That happens. And the Panthers right now are going to learn what it's like if you underachieve in the playoffs. The expectations are higher. We expect more from them now. Uh, I will make this one final point uh, before we wrap up. The next podcast you hear will not be a Game 3 recap. It will be something else very special. It will be coming out. Uh, tomorrow, I encourage you all to listen. It has nothing to do with this series, and you will like that because it gives us a break from a little bit, and it gives me a break from the fact that the Panthers and life have really not been very kind to me in recent days. Uh, but I appreciate yeah. all of you listening. We will be back again with a special podcast tomorrow, and then a Game 3 recap. And we'll see you in Game 3. Go Cats!